You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. Welcome to Season 2 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Tia McNelly. I'm Michaela Hooper. And I'm Jess Biondo, and this week we are honored to have Dr. Adam Dooley on our podcast, and he is a pastor, and he's an author of a new book that just came out June 23rd, so you can order it now, Um, and it's called When Hope When Life Unravels, Finding God When It Hurts. And this message that he's about to share with you as he gives you a glimpse into the process of writing the book and um, how he learn these lessons and um, just everything he's about to share is so timely, I think, for what we're going through as a society and what we've been through this year. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm just really, really excited for this interview. Same. Um, So Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's remarkable even to me to see how God has aligned the timing of this book's release with everything going on in the world right now. No doubt. Wow. You know, it's interesting, too, that you have taken on such a complex topic as suffering and God and suffering, which is, I think, probably one of the hardest questions that we wrestle with as humanity. Mm-hmm. Why does God allow suffering? And so, well, maybe we should let you tell us a little bit something about yourself first, and then I can't wait to jump into that. <laughs> I know, Tia, yes. coming in hot. I'm like, let's talk about this. <laughs> let's dive right in. Um, yeah, so before we get into that, what is the, the a little bit for our readers about the story behind the book and what motivated the original writing of it? Yeah, well, I've always said that most people don't Uh, write about or teach about suffering uh, as a casual observer. Uh, You're really a participant in the story Mm -hmm. before you step into this arena. And that is certainly the case for me. Uh, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and obviously I had to deal with some of the questions you referenced about uh, why does God allow suffering and walked with a lot of hurting people through many, many difficult situations. But God, through the greatest trial of my life, uh, really taught me more about himself than at any other point in my ministry. Uh, all of my seminary days don't compare to it. All of my years pastoring don't compare to it. And so that's why I wrote the book. And uh, really, it all centers around uh, my son Carson's battle with leukemia. Yeah. And I can't imagine as a parent watching your child suffer and the suffering that that must inflict upon you as well. Yeah, it was uh, traumatic to say the least. Carson was just three years old when he was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, my wife and I had recently gone to a new church. And uh, so we'd moved to a new city. And uh, he was the oldest of our two children at the time. We now have five. Uh, But uh, it, it was traumatic in every way. It just put to test everything that we've always believed and taught other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was the darkest period in our lives. Yeah. And in the beginning of the book, too, just so our listeners know, you know, you mentioned that you share your, this is your story 
of what happened and what you learned, but that this isn't just, this isn't a book about cancer. Um, You said all of us have one thing in common. We are in a storm, headed for a storm, or coming out of a storm. Can -hmm. you expand on that? Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because um, I, I wrote the book for two reasons. Uh, one, I wrote the book for my son. Uh, as I said a moment ago, he was three years old when he was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, he was treated for three years at St. Jude Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, today, by the way, he is a healthy 12-year-old and just really thriving and doing great. Wow. And so we thank the Lord for that. But what I noticed, I kept a journal as we were walking through this time period, and uh, I did it because I noticed that Carson would forget things the further we got into his treatment. So, for example, uh, by the time he was five years old, he did not remember what it was like that first night in the hospital uh, where there were a lot of really important things that happened where God just really spoke to us in powerful ways. And so at first I wanted to just write the book. Really, I just wanted to keep a journal for him to be able to go back and look through as he got older. So he would be able to recall what God taught us and how God used him in in his mom's life and in my life. But as I did that, I just really became convicted that what God was teaching us would be helpful to other people. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I start at the beginning of the book and just say, you know, this isn't a book about cancer. Every trial is different, but God is the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and God works through pain and God teaches us some of the most important lessons of our lives when we're hurting the most. Uh, He is often the most active when he feels the most absent. And so Mm -hmm. I felt like that would be a message that would resonate across any trial. (laughs) And so I use our trial as a springboard to answer some of these looming questions that people have. Uh, And hopefully uh, folks will be able to see through our circumstance and look deeply into their own as they read the book. Wow. I mean, what what a timely message this is for uh, people that read your book and that will hear this interview. Um, I think our trials, like you said, they look they can look so different, but in the midst of them, we ultimately need hope, and we have that um, as a gift to cling to. But I, I'm just like, I know for me, there have been times where anger is something that arises and how do you how do you navigate or how did yeah how did you navigate that and even being angry with god you know yeah well i think the first thing i should admit is that i was angry mm-hmm. uh you know i think a lot of people have this idea that it's either wrong to be angry or that even if we are, that we should hide it. That just isn't true. The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, Number one, God knows you're angry, even if you don't admit it, is the first thing I would say. And and so uh, what I began doing, I, I began searching the scripture for all the examples of people who were hurting 
who called out to God and questioned God and asked him why certain things were happening to them. And what I found was God never rebuked anyone for asking why. It's always permissible to question what God is doing in your life. Now, I do think we cross a line when we begin to chastise the Lord (laughs) if we don't like his answer. That's good. Uh, But the Lord is a loving father who is ready to hear us and to receive us. And, uh, you know, I use the example of my own children as an earthly father who falls short every day. There is no need that my sons or my daughters can bring to me that I don't happily receive and that I am not anxious to help uh, when necessary. And I think that's the way God interacts with us. And so I really found that the raw emotional uh, roller coaster that we were on uh, brought a life to my walk with God that had not been there before. No doubt. I can imagine. And so can I get to my burning question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, in your anger, I'm sure is a point where you're going to cry out, why God? Why does Carson have to suffer? Why do my wife and I have to suffer through watching him suffer? Where did you come to? Yeah, uh, it, was, it was fascinating to me how quickly God helped me with that. That was probably the, the biggest hurdle that I faced. Mm. And within the first week of his diagnosis, I really felt that God helped me to turn that corner. Amazingly, uh, the day Carson was diagnosed was a Sunday. And I preached that morning in our church. Uh, I was teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And so I finished uh, Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus talks about two houses, one that was built on the sand, the other that was built on the rock. And it says the rain fell and the floods came and the wind beat against the first house and it fell because it didn't have the right foundation. And then same thing for the second house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And uh, one of our church members within a week of Carson's diagnosis sent me a little email of encouragement, said very little, but just quoted that verse from Matthew chapter seven verse 25. And when I read that, it was like the Holy Spirit just arrested my attention and said, you are not going to fall. You have the right foundation and I'm going to take care of you. But for the first time in your life, uh, you have to drink deeply from the pain uh, in order to know uh, that I can take care of you. Uh, there's a great difference, in other words, between knowing God will bear your burdens and actually watching him do it. Come on, and so, true. <laughs> yeah, so I think God wanted us to walk through this trial so that, again, things that I had been teaching others for years were, were real, not just cognitively in my mind, but experientially in my heart. And so I actually began to thank God for the trial. And that really helped me to let go of the anger and anxiety that I felt along the way. Interesting. So gratitude was really the key 
to shutting down that anger and building trust and faith. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it really was because either you believe what you teach others or you don't. Right. And and unfortunately, <laughs> the only way you can learn that is is to need what you teach others. And if I'm being very transparent with you, uh, I've had a pretty good life and I've suffered very little. Uh, and so this was the first moment where I, I felt total desperation it was the first moment where I could not do anything to solve the problem. Yeah. And I just had to lean hard into who God is and what he promises each of us as his children. And that made all the difference for me. That's amazing. You know, I, and, I've... Oh, sorry, Jess, you go ahead. I was going to say, in the book, you talk about hard providence which is kind of what you've been you know, talking about already, but can you explain that a little bit more, that concept? Yeah, when I, when I talk about that in the book, what I mean is that God is always good, uh, but that doesn't mean that everything that we face or even everything that God uses in our lives is good. Mm. Uh, there are many harmful things that are necessary for our sanctification. There's lots of biblical examples of that. If you, if you look at the Old Testament story of Job, for example, Job suffered more than any person outside of the Lord Jesus himself. He never got an explanation for why. And yet uh, we know that the, the background scene of all of that was God just wanted to demonstrate. Uh, you could say he wanted to prove to Job and even to Satan that he was worthy of worship, not because of what he does for us, but simply because of who he is. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Job probably believed that, but Job had never lived that. And so in the hard providence of God, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And he gives him an opportunity to live out what he knows in his, in his mind and even in his heart likely. And yet there are layers, there, there's a depth of your relationship with God that just can't be there mm -hmm. if, if you don't experience God's hard providence. You know, you could, you could use the example of Jesus on the cross. What more cruel act in history was there than that? And yet it was perfectly in the plan of God. Right. Uh, though Jesus sought any other way than drinking from that bitter cup, in the Father's providence, he knew, though it was hard, it was best. And I am convinced that the hope that got us out of bed every morning was, this is hard, we would not choose it, we hate it, but God wants to use it, and we will trust that he will bring good out of it. Wow. You know, I, I've talked with other parents of... Um, sick children. And I've heard them wrestle with this idea of God using their child's suffering in this whole scenario for something bigger, something greater. And like you said, even with Job, like, and, you know, do-gooders and people who want to help might say, you know, just wait, you're going to see on the other side of this, what God was doing here. And like Job, maybe they won't, maybe you haven't. And 
how do you reconcile in the midst of that suffering? Like, I don't care if something better comes out of this. I want my kid to be okay. How do you reconcile that? Yeah, uh, that's tough to reconcile. And, you know, uh, those are prayers that I prayed. Uh, Again, just in the interest of transparency, I uh, called out to God and said, Lord, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you want to teach me. I don't care how you Mm -hmm. want to bless others. I want my son to be well. And I think God in his grace helps us to take one day at a time. Uh, And I think through his spirit and through his word, he gives us just little nuggets of reassurance along the way. I've got an entire chapter in the book about well-meaning people Oh, good. Who, who do great damage? <laughs> yes, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, Job's friends are, are are a perfect example of that. I think they were well-meaning. At least they walked in when everyone else walked out of Job's life, uh, but yet they did great damage. And we experience that. You know, if yeah. I heard once, I heard a thousand times. God won't put more on you than you can bear. <laughs> well, well, that's just not true biblically. <laughs> That's nonsense. That is, yeah. that's what I call hallmark Christianity. And yeah. there's just no truth to it. The, uh, the only way you can know that God is your burden bearer is for him to put more on you than you can bear so that he can bear it for you. Preach. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think God just kind of shows you truths like that even through misguided people who are trying to help, but really it's discouraging. And uh, I tell a few stories like that in the book. I actually started feeling sorry for others who were who felt sorry for me and were trying to help me because <laughs> they were so out of touch with who God is and how God works. Yeah. Uh, and, and in a weird way, that just kept me going. Hey, there is a reward here uh, in persevering through this. Uh, and, and that encouraged me along the way. Do you feel like there were, like you shared the little, you know, the moment where that person sent you the scripture, um, but were there moments just all throughout that time where you were like, wow, I'm, I feel God. Like, even though he seemed so far, there were moments like that where he showed himself and I just, yeah, I think sometimes it's really hard to connect, and I would be curious, like how how you how you connected with God when it probably felt like He was far at times. Yeah, there there are lots of examples of that, and He used mm-hmm. a number of means. You know, a lot of times it was reading the Scripture. Obviously, I think that's the the clearest way God speaks. Yeah. But God spoke to me through others. He spoke to me through my prayer life. Uh, I'll give you two examples. One, uh, one day I was praying for Carson's healing, asking God to supernaturally touch him and take the cancer away. And as clearly as I'm talking to you, I felt God just convicting my heart. I'm going to heal your son, but I am not going to do it supernaturally. He is going to take every dose of medicine because you need to walk through this with him. And it was so powerful that from that moment forward, that day forward, I never asked God to heal him supernaturally again. And I began to pray for God to give us supernatural strength to endure 
whatever was ahead. Wow. And so, you know, yeah. that's how the Spirit spoke to me. God spoke yeah. to me through people and uh, their circumstances. There's a few examples in the book of people in waiting rooms who would say things to me and it just, fe- it just felt like the voice of God, hmm. uh, you know, was was peering into my heart. And so uh, God did that an, a number of times and I'm, I'm really, really thankful for that. That's incredible. So how has your family dynamic shifted um, in all of this? I know you've added three children, but in what ways has this kind of affected your, your overall service mentality and the way that you lead your family or lead your church? Well, it, uh, it, frankly, it's changed everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we uh, are quite comfortable now not uh, believing that we have everything figured out. Um, That's good. <laughs> our, our third son, so I have three sons and two daughters. The oldest three are, are boys. When my third son was born, uh, we were about uh, a third of the way through Carson's treatment. And we were, uh, frankly, we were devastated when we found out my wife was pregnant because we were going to Memphis every week. We were getting on an airplane. We did that for 128 weeks in a row. And um, we, we just thought, how can we manage this? Mm-hmm. with a new baby in the house. And what God did in his goodness, he took that, which we thought was going to be a burden, and he made it such a healthy distraction. Mm-hmm. It gave us, again, <laughs> uh, something new to be grateful for. It brought mm-hmm. joy to our, our lives that wasn't there because we were so preoccupied with this trial. And so uh, we just see our children as a gift uh, we cherish them more. I think as a pastor, uh, I don't sympathize with people anymore. I, I'm, I'm much more able to empathize with them when they're hurting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't preach uh, textbook sermons that are void of heart and, and feeling uh, anymore. And I'd like to say I never did that before, but... I just believe sometimes we outpunt our experience uh, in the church. That's good. And God has really helped me to be so much more comfortable in my own skin and who I am and what I've experienced. And I just don't try to lead beyond that uh, anymore because I'm grateful for how God has used others. But I, I don't discount what God's done in my life and how God... Uh, wants to use my experience for mm-hmm. my people in my setting. So I, I think I lean into that more than I used to. That's good. Now, you said that you have become comfortable in your own skin. So one of our favorite questions to ask our guests here at The Collected Podcast is, how do you remain rooted in your true identity? Well, um, I think it's nothing uh, uh Creative. It's just the daily discipline of every day. Uh, I have a quiet time where I read my Bible. Uh, I talk to Jesus. Uh, I talk a lot about Jesus outside of the pulpit. And so uh, I try to uh, feed on the word. I try to commune with the Lord. And I try to share with others what God's doing in my life because I have found it reinforces to me as I share with others 
who God is and what God is doing. And That's so good. it's a constant battle, but I just try not to, not to wear masks uh, when I'm not okay. I don't pretend that I am. Yeah. Uh, I've learned the value of sharing my burdens with others because again, the trial that we went through as a family, we could not have survived apart from the help of those who were around us speaking in our lives. And so I just, I see that as much of, as of a discipline now as I, as I do reading my Bible. I, I have to share my life with others because when Satan isolates me, that's when I am most vulnerable to uh, lots of horrible things, frankly. <laughs> that's a good word right there. Yeah. yeah. And we're almost out of time, but as we wrap up, I wanted to circle back to that quote I read from your book at the very beginning. And I was wondering what final word of encouragement or wisdom would you have for someone in a storm, headed for a storm, and coming out of a storm? So like those three groups, because every one of our listeners is in one of those categories. So what's kind of a final word that maybe the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart for each of those separate groups? Yeah. Well, I would say a couple things. One, most trials are temporary. Uh, We don't believe that in the moment, but most trials are seasonal. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you are facing or whatever you will face, it will pass and you will be better because of it, or you will be less committed to the Lord because of it. That's the so other thing I would say is some trials honestly aren't temporary. There are people who live with lifelong pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have friends from St. Jude Hospital who didn't get to bring their babies home. And they live with that in a way that I don't. But you know what? Uh, the Bible says that the sufferings of the present time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And the reality is most trials are temporary. But if you're the exception to that, even then, God is good, he's trustworthy, and you can give him your greatest burden and he will not leave you or forsake you if you do. Wow. Amen. That's some good wisdom right there. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so I'm, much for coming on the show. Yes, and yeah. Listeners, <laughs> go order this yes. book. We'll put the links in the show notes and on our blog posts and Instagram posts and all of it um, to where you can order it and um, direct link to the Amazon listing. Um But again, it's hope when life unravels, finding God when it hurts. Is there anything else you have going on that you'd like to promo while we have you? Well, (laughs) I I just want to say, whenever you write a book, there's always limitations uh, and there are things that don't make it into the book that you wish had. Yeah. Uh, If if your listeners visit adamdooley.org, I've written a number of blog posts uh, that kind of give behind the scenes looks at certain things that are in the book, uh, a few uh, lessons that I wanted to include but just didn't have the space. Uh, So they can check that out if if this is of interest to them as well. That's so good. Perfect. And we'll put a direct link to that in the show notes and on our blog as well. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank Thank you, you, Adam. 
Wow, that conversation with Adam was so encouraging. I feel like it is just the exact message that we need as our country continues, as the whole world continues to kind of recover from the the blows of COVID-19. And um, it reminded me of a conversation I had last week with a young woman about... Um, she was basically recognizing that even though she's walking through a very challenging time in her own life with, um, you know, sick family members, relational issues, all kinds of things going on in her world that are really affecting her, um, that she has had to kind of come to realize that in this season, everybody is facing something significant. And it was kind of a sweet teachable moment for both of us to kind of say, Gosh, you know what? That's sort of how it is all the time. COVID-19 or not, everyone around us is walking through a trial of some kind at all times. That is the nature of life on earth. Until Jesus returns, we will all face trials. We will all suffer. It's it's kind of part of our identification with Christ, you know? If we're going to be like Christ, we're going to experience suffering because that's what he did. Um, on our behalf. And so uh, anyhow, I just was so uh, reminded in, in our conversation with Adam of this concept of being aware, carrying an awareness of the fact that every single person around you is going through something. So not just in the midst of COVID-19, but at all times, we have to let grace just pour out of us on others. Yeah. I love, I love what he said about like, learning how to empathize. Yeah. Um, and I kept thinking to myself uh, about the scripture, you know, that says no weapon formed against shall prosper. It doesn't say that weapons won't be formed against, but that they won't prosper. And I, I loved that term hard providence because mm-hmm. to me that speaks to that. Like, at least for me, it was like, oh, well, like, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be hard things, that there aren't going to be weapons that come our way. Yeah. But it means, what it does mean is that God is sovereign and that he's God. And so therefore they, um, they won't prosper. Yeah. Um, and I think the more aware we are of that, Tia, like you're saying, I mean, that's, it's powerful because... Yeah. Um, we realize that we can't be, we actually can't be overcome. You know, and that's so. actually, if you tie those two things together, how powerful is it for us as, as humanity to recall God's faithfulness and recall those victories and testify to one another of God's goodness yeah. and that victorious nature that we carry? Mm-hmm. Um, because we all have those stories, but we have to be aware of them and we have to recall them to be able to let those affect the people around us. Yeah. yeah. And as he was talking, Tia, I, I kept thinking about a conversation we've had in the past, probably many times, um, <laughs> when we both have like our autoimmune issues. And mm-hmm. it's this concept of knowing I am healed, like God mm-hmm. has done the work. And there's like (laughs) the redeemed version of myself that is fully healed and fully restored, but it's living in that, like the promise of, I know that is truth, but Mm -hmm. I might not get to see it on this earth. Like, Mm -hmm. it's 
we have the promise, but sometimes we don't get to see it yet. It's like the now and the not yet. Yep. And you're walking in that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do get to see the healing and the fulfillment on earth, but it's like we know that this isn't all there is for us. And that's where the real hope is. Totally. That even if I don't see the end of the struggle in this life, this life is a fleeting moment compared Mm -hmm. to eternity of healing and redemption with the Lord because he's already done the work. Like it is finished. Yeah. Yep. And so good. That I yeah. I don't know. That was just kind of in yeah. my mind. And then one final thing for me. I don't know if you guys have more. Um, but as he was talking to, I remembered a time I was flying in a plane and off in the distance you could see a thunderstorm. And it looked so cool in the clouds, like the lightning and off in the distance, mm-hmm. but it was like a blip on the entire horizon. Hmm. But for the people who are on earth under that storm, it's all they can see in that moment. Yeah. Wow. You know, and so that was kind of a, an image I've carried with me. Maybe I've even shared on the podcast already. But nope. I always come back to that whenever I'm in this struggle of just remembering, like, this is all I can see right now, but this isn't all there is. Yeah, That's so know, good. Compared to the grand story that God is weaving. Yes. This may be a blip on the horizon of my life. It may be a lot longer, but it, it's not all that is out there. Yeah. I love how he, like, I feel like that connects so much to what he he said in his book about those three different, like, markers or points that we go through in life. All the, like, we're, mm-hmm. I feel like we're going through those different cycles. All like the, getting ready to time. go through in the midst of and coming out of? Is yep. that what you mean? Yep. Yeah. Going through the storm. Yeah. Before it and after it, so. Yeah. So, okay, one last thing for me. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me of something from, and I may have shared this on the show before, but it's worth sharing again. Something that has always stuck with me since my very first Beth Moore study, the, I did the Daniel study first. Um, she talked about how there are three ways that God delivers us. And he always, deliverance is a guarantee. Like we are always delivered. But he could deliver us from a trial, he could deliver us through a trial, or he could deliver us into his arms. Mm. And those are kind of the three ways that our deliverance can manifest. And I'm so encouraged to know that guarantee is there. Yes. That no matter what, <laughs> I will be delivered from the trials of this life. Amen. And I'm grateful. Yeah. All right, folks. That is what good a week. stuff. Love it. So if love you it, like it. it, become a patron. <laughs> yes. We would love your support. Um, we know times might be pretty tight for some people. So if you can't, we totally understand. But if you have the means and um, want to support us monthly for as little as $1 a month up to however much you have, um, <laughs> we would really appreciate it. It helps us helps us keep this going. Um, yes. So the links to that are in our show notes. And um, thank you to all of our current patient or patrons. We yes. really, really appreciate it. And yes. you're the reason why we can keep doing this every week, every other yeah. week. <laughs> all right. See you next time. Have a great week. 
Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry, and Michaela at The Creative Space NC. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected podcast is recorded and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Alon.